Okay. Okay, good morning, everyone. Good to see you all. Please come and grab a seat. Let me explain what we're doing today. We're starting our new series, How Do You Like Yours? Now this, what's this How Do You Like Yours all about? Well, it's about sandwiches. Now, the sandwich I read online, and everything you read online must be true, but it was on Wikipedia, and it said that the sandwich was Britain's, Great Britain's, biggest contribution to the world cuisine. That's what it said. It is something that has gone round the world. And the history, whether it's true or not, or the myth is, it goes back to the Earl of Sandwich, who wanted to find a way to feed his men. And so he got two bits of bread and he put something in between, and thus the sandwich was born. And so one of the questions I want to ask you today is, how do you like yours? What's your favorite sandwich? If you could have, looking forward to maybe lunch today, tomorrow, what it is, and you're thinking, do you know what, lunch is coming, and someone comes up and says, you can have any kind of sandwich you want, anything. Just tell me how you want it, tell me how you like yours, and one of our chefs will source the ingredients and make it for you. Well, just so you know, because you asked, my favorite sandwich is right here, which I, um, I got yesterday and prepared it ready. This one, I think, is for my all-time. If I could just have one sandwich, I would go for this one. This would be my number one. And this is the bacon, lettuce, and tomato on wholemeal bread. And for me, this is just something, if, if what's coming with lunch, any, my default, if we're ever out and it's kind of, we need to grab lunch, it's da-da-da, we've got to go and get it, we haven't got anything, we've got to go and buy it from somewhere, or go somewhere. Mel doesn't even need to ask me what I want for lunch, she just knows, she's a good wife. And so she will go and source me a bacon, lettuce and tomato. Now, obviously, it needs to be well filled. It can't be just like have one measly piece of bacon in the middle with not much else. It needs to at least be double thickness bacon, preferably triple if you're going all out. Then you need the lettuce in there. You don't want that limp lettuce, you know, the stuff that you hold, and it just hangs. No, it needs to be the right crispy lettuce. And the tomatoes need to be cut really quite thick, nice succulent, and then, oh, a little bit of mm, something in there to make it all stick together. And then, what do you do? Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> Mmm, that's good. Mm. That is so good. So, I'm just going to finish this while you talk amongst yourself. <laughs> I'm not. So that's my favourite sandwich. My question to you is, what's yours? Have a think. Let me jot it down now. What's your favourite sandwich? Maybe in your life group, coming up, talk to each other about it because it's an important illustration for us. And. What I want to do is come back to something we talked about at the beginning of the year, which is why we're making a stop now. I know some people have asked me, what happened to the book of Joshua? We are going to finish Joshua. Don't worry. By the end of August, it's all going to be laid out. We'll finish that. We'll finish this. But for the next four weeks, we're going to look at our sandwich, and we're going to talk about the sandwich, which we started at the beginning of the year, because we're six months through. It's June at the moment, soon July. So we're kind of halfway through our year. 2018 is half gone. We're on the downward run. We've had the longest day, shortest night. And we're now running down towards Christmas. You're welcome. 
And at the beginning of the year, I shared something. I shared your verse. Can we put the first verse up, please? Which is from the book of Acts. And it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. And we talked at the beginning of that. What is God speaking to us about as a church? What's our focus for 2018? And I talked to you about the sandwich there, and I felt God speaks to us about two things that we need to be focusing on this year. The first one was reading our Bibles, the apostles' teaching it's described there, what God's Word is. And the second thing was prayer. And they both formed, I said, two pieces of bread in a sandwich. In the middle was the kind of the fellowship and community life where they broke bread together, they were in homes, they were connecting with one another. But the two bits that kind of held it together was reading our Bible and praying, and that is something we were going to focus on this year. It was going to be something we were going to give our time and our energy to. And so halfway through the year, I want to take a moment to review that. And what we're going to be looking at over the next four weeks is we're going to spend two weeks looking at God's Word. I'm doing this week, Jeremy's doing next week. Then I'm going to finish off with a couple of weeks looking particularly on prayer. And I want us to use this opportunity to assess ourselves as individuals, as a church, on basically how we're doing. How's it going? Let's be honest. Let's have some honest conversations. What I'm also going to do as part of this series, we're going to have a couple of people come and share each week on how they're doing with reading their Bible, how they're doing with their prayer. They're also going to tell you their favorite sandwich as well, just so we get to talk about that. And so we're going to hear from others as well on how it's going. And hopefully the whole thing will be an encouragement and a challenge to us all to keep on with this. Now what we're going to look at today, we're going to have one verse that is going to be our focus for today's teaching. Can we put the second verse up here? Now, let me context this one. What's happened, this comes from at the end of Luke's gospel. Luke wrote an account of the life of Jesus, his birth, his life, his teaching, his miracles, and then his death and resurrection. And this verse comes right at the end of the, um, the gospel account. And what's happened is Jesus died on a cross. His followers have been scattered They're totally confused. I thought he was the one, but he's now dead. What's going on? He then rises from the dead. The rumors start to circulate. He's alive. Some people claim they've seen him. Others are confused. Like, really? He's back? There's a lot of uncertainty going on. And then we have this story where two disciples are traveling from the capital city to Jerusalem to a place called Emmaus, just outside the city. And they are downcast and they are despondent because Jesus has died and they just don't know what's going on. And then a stranger meets them on the road and starts talking to them. And this stranger turns out, we know from reading the story, is Jesus. But they don't see it. They can't see it because they think he's dead. It's kind of been hidden from them. And Jesus actually starts telling them off. He starts telling them off and saying, guys, you got it wrong. They get rebuked. And he says this, this is how he proves to them why he's telling them off. He says in verse 27, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The things concerning himself. Now that reference there to Moses and the prophets is a reference to our Old Testament. It was just a way of summing up the Old Testament scriptures, what they'd have had at the time. And he's basically saying, all those point to me. They're all about me. They all talk about me. If you'd read them and you'd have understood them, you would have known what was going to happen to me. It shouldn't have been a shock because I'm in there from the beginning. 
I'm in there to be seen. And when we look at our Bibles, if you go to your New Testament bit, it's easy to find Jesus. It begins with four gospel accounts of his life. The remainder letters are all looking back at what's happened. They're all talking about Jesus. But when we go to the front end of our Bible, Jesus is somewhat hidden. He's a lot harder to see. But Jesus himself, from his own mouth, says the key to understanding the entire Bible, all of it, is me. How are you going to understand your scriptures? How are you going to understand the word of God? Well, you have to start with Jesus. He's like the key that unlocks it all. The one that makes it all come alive. The one that opens up, that makes it all understandable. He said elsewhere in John's gospel, it says, Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Saying, they talk about me. Later in Matthew's Gospel, he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The Bible is all about Jesus. And it must be interpreted in light of that. And so when we look at reading our Bible and prayer, and we're focusing on our Bible this week, we're actually looking at how does it tell us about Jesus? Because he's the one that we should be looking for. He's the one that we should be um, seeking in there. He's the one who is speaking to us through it. He's the one who is reflected in every single part of the story. It's all about him. Jeremy said in our intro, everything we do is about him. That's because everything is about him. And the Bible speaks from that on every page. It all comes about Jesus. And what I want to look at today is I want to look at the big story of our Bibles that we're reading and trying to get into and understand the big story, but then also understand how it all points to Jesus. So as we go away and try and read our Bibles on our own, we've got this, we're armed with the right information that as we come to each section of Scripture, we're looking for how this points to Jesus, what it meant to those who read it, but then what's the, well, how does it fit to the bigger narrative of God's Word and how that all comes back to Jesus. So let's, first of all, we're going to look at the big story of the Bible. The big story of the Bible. What does it mean... From Genesis through to Revelation, 66 books from different genres, different types of writing written by multiple authors over centuries. What's the big story holding it all together? How does it all fit? How does it all make sense as a story? And the the ways I found the easiest to understand that is to just jot down four words. Four words which help you understand the big picture, the big story of what God's doing. And those four words, put them up, are creation, fall, reconciliation, consummation. First two are pretty easy, the second two are a bit like bit longer words, but let me explain what they are. The whole Bible, the whole big story of the Bible can just be summed up in those four words. Where does it all begin? Well, it all begins with creation. Genesis chapter 1 Genesis chapter 2, which is when God created heaven and earth. God created everything. He was the one who was the origin of all things. In the beginning, God. He created it all. And then if you read the creation account, there's kind of a wide angle one and a narrow angle one. And you've got him creating everything, light and dark and heaven and earth and the moon and the stars and the suns and all the animals and the, the fishes in the sea, etc., etc. And then on the final day, he creates the pinnacle of creation, us. You ever looked in the mirror and thought, pinnacle of God's creation. He knew what he was doing. Made in God's image. And so there we are. And what does God say? He said it is 
good. In fact, when he looks at the end, he says, very good. This is it. Wow, I've made it. Creation is there. Everything's wonderful. And if we look at creation story, we find out that um, there's, good, there's good order in relationship between man and God. They're in perfect relationship with each other. Between man and woman, there is relationship. Between man and creation, the created order. Everything is working. Everything is going well. It's all just good. But then we get to Genesis chapter 3, we're only third chapter in, it's not going well, and we get fall. And what we find here in fall is that man rebels against God's created order. He, he rebels against how things, God had set it all up. He decides, do you know what God, I don't want to be created, I want to be creator, I want to be in your position I want to take the authority that I haven't been given. God gave man authority over all the creation. He says, you can go and subdue it and do a whole bunch of things. That was not enough. I want more. And so man rebels. He commits cosmic treason against God. He says, no, I won't have that. They eat the tree of the, the, uh, the fruit, the knowledge of good and evil, and it all just goes wrong. And from that moment, everything breaks. God, a man's relationship with God is broken. Man's relationship with woman is broken. Man's relationship with creation is broken. Man's relationship with work is broken. Man, a woman's relationship with childbirth. Everything is broken and damaged. And we've been living out the consequences of that ever since. And as a result of that, in God's holiness, the judgment comes wrong because they've committed evil. And they are, they are told to leave the garden. You cannot stay here. You cannot be in relationship with me. There's something in that that has just shattered. You cannot be here. And so three chapters into the Bible, there's just it's wrong, it's broken, and man is living with the consequences of sin, and we've been, li- we've been living with it ever since. So it all goes wrong. And then what you get then from Genesis chapter 4 all the way to Revelation chapter 20, so almost at the end of your Bible, that whole big middle section is God trying to reconcile man to himself. God sets about a cosmic um, rescue mission to bring mankind back into relationship with, with himself. He said, I want my people in my place under my care and rule, which is what it had been like in the beginning. And his purpose is, I want to get back to that. I want to do that. I want to bring mankind back to myself. And the whole story is about that. Is that how is God going to do that? We see it begins, we've got Noah. God chooses Noah. Then he chooses Abraham. He says to Abraham, I'm going to bless all the nations through you. We follow Abraham's family down into Egypt. And suddenly they're a mighty nation. They come out of Egypt God says, well, I've got land for you. You're going to go into the promised land, live in the land that I promised you, which we're studying now in Joshua, that particular part of Israel history. You have the kingdom established, and you have a succession of kings, but in rebellion, it all goes wrong, and they end up in exiles. But then you have the prophets speaking all the way through, saying, repent, turn to God. But there's also one coming. There's one coming who's going to sort this out. There's one coming, a chosen one, a Messiah, who is going to bring it all together in final kind of reconciliation. A man will be with God, and it will be good. And then who comes? Jesus. He arrives on the scene. He's like, I'm here. I've finally arrived. All that." Has led to me. And he comes and he proclaims the kingdom. He says, repent, come back to God. And he demonstrates the kingdom through his teaching and his miracles. And then finally he dies on a cross in our place for our sin. And he rises from death victorious. And he inaugurates a new kingdom. 
and a new people. This is no longer going to be an ethnic group um, directly related to Abraham in a particular place. It's now a group of people from every nation and every tribe and every people united by faith called the church. And he pours out his spirit on them. He says, go tell everyone. And suddenly we have this reconciled people, one new man in Christ who come together. And that's looking forward to the end. And then you get the final part of the story, the last kind of two chapters, Revelation 21 and 22. And what do we see in there? We see the consummation. We see the coming together of everything. And we see God with his people forever. And the old order has gone away and a new order has been established that reflects the beginning. And what do we see? We see a city. A great city where the people of God are. And what's in the middle of the city? A garden, like the beginning. And who's in the middle of the garden? On a throne, Jesus, with his people. And he's saying, do you know what? The old way's gone. No more crying, no more suffering, no more tears. We will be together forever. And that's the big story of the Bible. It's all about Jesus. And every part of the story, whichever bit you dip into, points towards that. Hints towards that, speaks of this great purpose of God for his people to reconcile them back to himself, to deal with the the ultimate problem of the human heart and our rebellion and our sin, the Bible calls it. He says, I'm going to deal with that. And whatever point you drop yourself into scripture, whatever book you open, whatever passage you read, somehow connects to that big story. And it's all pointing towards kind of the end game where we find God with his people forever. And so that's the kind of the big overall point of the Bible. But what I want to do now is just focus on this first sort of section of the Bible, the Old Testament, and show you how that points to God. So in your own Bible reading, as you're reading it, you're not just thinking, what are these weird old stories that frankly are bizarre, some of them. Have you read them? I'm doing the Bible in the year thing, and I'm still only in Jeremiah, and I'm I'm longing for the New Testament sometimes. Think at least that's really obviously about Jesus. I'm reading these strange old stories. Jeremiah had to take a loincloth. And he said, God says, you're going to make the loincloth and you wear it around a bit. Then I want you to go and I want you to go and shove it in the cleft of the rock and leave it there. I'm like, why? Why am I putting my pants in the rock? And then go back the next day and get your pants out. Okay, and the pants are all manky they've been in the rock and they've been cleaned and water and then they want you to take them to the rulers of Judah and throw them on the floor and say that's what that's what your nation's like and I'm just (laughs) okay thank you Jesus Um, but you read these stories but it all points to him so I want to give you some stuff and hints today that as we're reading our Bibles that you can look at how it's all about Jesus ultimately it's all his story because the New Testament is obvious You've got the Gospels, which all talk about Jesus, and the letters are really up front at talking about Jesus and talking about what's happened and what it means for us. Even the book of Acts, which kind of goes in between them, is just a further narrative of what God's doing on the earth and they're proclaiming Jesus and the churches are being planted and multiplying. So let's go back and look at some of the Old Testament. I want to look at four things from the Old Testament which will give us, you put the next one up, which will point us towards Jesus. You've got the promises and predictions, you've got types, you've got appearances, and you've got attributes. And if we've got these things in mind, as you read through your Old Testament, you will see how it points to Jesus. And hopefully that will help you kind of in your reading and your own personal study of God's Word. Number one, the promises and predictions. 
If you go through your Old Testament, it is littered time and time again with these promises, hints, predictions, looking forward to Jesus that someone's coming that's going to deal with the problem. God's chosen one is coming. Even it begins in Genesis chapter 3. And remember Genesis chapter 3 was the fall. One, two, creation, fall. So we're in the middle of everything going wrong the origin of all our problems, and even in the middle of that, you go to verse 15, you find out what? It says that one is coming to crush the serpent's head. And the serpent being the devil, the enemy, and it says one is coming who's going to crush your head. But even within that, even though your head will be crushed, it it says it will strike at your heel. And so there'll be a wound. And it's believed by many... Bible scholars, this is the first gospel where it points towards the coming of Jesus. Jesus is the serpent crusher. He is the one who was wounded. He was born of woman. And he would come and crush and destroy the serpent, which is exactly what Jesus did. He came to destroy the works of the evil one. We find that as we read later. So even in the very beginning, it's hinted. We go through. We see the promise to Abraham saying, through you, I'm going to bless all the nations of the world. Someone's coming through you who's going to bless everybody. We know that's Jesus. At the end of Genesis, chapter 49, Abraham's had a son, Isaac. Isaac's had a son, Jacob. Jacob's had 12 sons, been busy. And and on his deathbed, he prophesies over each one of them, and he says to one of the sons, through you will come a ruler. Though the ruling scepter will not depart from you. And which, which son was that? The tribe of Judah. Judah. And what is Jesus? He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. So even in Genesis, right back at the beginning, there's already hints. He's coming. He's coming. When you read this stuff, don't gloss over it. Jesus is coming. Right there, we go into Deuteronomy a few books later. And there's a bit where it says um, Moses is the prophet there, but actually there's a, a prophecy in there that says a new prophet will arise like Moses who will come. And he will speak God's word directly to his people. And who will that be? That will be Jesus through there. We go to 2 Samuel. And David is king. Interesting, which line's David from? Judah. And then, then God says to him, You're sitting on my throne, you're ruling my kingdom. He says, One will come from you who will sit on your throne and a kingdom that will last forever. Forever. You're not going to die and have to give it to your son. He's going to die and give it to their son, etc., etc. The usual kind of hereditary kingly rule. No, no. One is coming. He's going to sit on that throne forever. You go to the book of Psalms. And there's all through the book of Psalms. There are hints and points to Jesus saying he'd be rejected. Psalm 118. He'll be betrayed. Psalm 69, 109. He would die and be resurrected. Psalm 22 and 16. He'd be a conqueror and ruler. Psalm 2 and 110. He'd be a triumphant king. Psalm 68, 72. So many hints. He's coming. He's coming. There is one greater than what we see now. Something more. If you just look at the life of Jesus... And the hints and the promises and the predictions about what his life would be like. They're all over the Old Testament. Isaiah 7 said he would be born of a virgin. We see that in Matthew. Micah 2 says he would be born in Bethlehem. John the Baptist would come as the forerunner to Isaiah. We see that prophesied in Isaiah and Malachi that one would come and prepare the way. It was John the Baptist who would do that. There would be hosannas as he entered Jerusalem. We see in Zechariah and Psalm 118. 
On Palm Sunday, what did they sing as he came into Jerusalem on a donkey? Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We find out he'll be betrayed in the Psalms. We find out in Zechariah that his side would be pierced with a spear. Just like Jesus was on the cross. If you read Isaiah chapter 53, you find out he would suffer for the sins of the world. If you're not convinced on this, the only place in the Old Testament you need to go is Isaiah 53. And study that. Those, what is in there about Christ written hundreds of years before his birth. Scholars describe that as the kind of the, the gospel in the Old Testament. We have the gospel in the New Testament. It's very clear. It's about Jesus. gospel in the Old Testament is Isaiah chapter 53. Just read that. Dwell on that. I just finished a book about that whole, just about that whole chapter. Sort of what's happened there and how it points to Jesus. Incredible. If we go to Daniel chapter 7, we talk about one um, like the Son of Man returning in power and glory, pointing towards to Jesus' second coming. There are so many things in our Old Testament. So as we're reading it, that just point towards Jesus. What about the types? We find types all over the New Testament. Now, types can be, they can be people, they can be events, they can be institutions, but things that are happening that point towards Jesus, point towards his coming, point towards something about and who he is, what he's like. These can be people... These are the ones we've studied in the church recently. Joseph. Joseph, at the end of Genesis, he was rejected by his family. He became nothing in terms of losing all his authority, ending up in prison. He suffered unfairly. But then he was raised to a position of honor and power. He ended up saving his family and effectively saving the known world as it was there in a time of famine. And he even offered forgiveness to those who had tried to kill him. Jesus is a better Joseph. What about in the book of Ruth? We met that man Boaz. Boaz shows compassion to Ruth, a foreigner, an outsider, someone with nothing. He chooses to bless her and provide for her. Then ultimately he redeems her out of her poverty. And she, what she has lost has been restored to her. Jesus is a better Boaz. What about Joshua that we're looking at at the moment? He was God's appointed leader. He leads people into the promised land. He achieves victory over God's enemy. And he reestablishes and renews the covenant between man and God and the people and God. Jesus is a better Joshua. What about Hezekiah? That was just last week on Father's Day. We saw him as a godly king. He restored worship, restored the priesthood in the temple. He removed the barriers of worship, all those idols and things that the people were doing, the sinful things. He removed them to enable them to worship. He was completely submitted to God and God's word and followed it wholeheartedly. Jesus is a better Hezekiah. What about events we find in the Old Testament? Significant events that point towards Jesus. What about the Exodus? Where you've got the people in bondage. They're in bondage to a tyrant ruler. They cannot get out of it. They are completely undone. They, they have no power, no authority. Then one comes. And then they are, they are set free. They get freedom. Salvation through the water. And they are go into the promised land. They find redemption through that purpose, pointing powerfully to our salvation. Within that process, we have one major event, the Passover. What happens? A lamb without spot or blemish is taken in 
and killed in the place of the firstborn of the family. So when the judgment of God comes, it passes over. And they are free. And they are set free. Massive institutions that come up again and again in God's Word, all pointing towards Jesus and His salvation. Even the taking of the promised land. God gave them the land and said, this is yours. I have achieved victory over this. You are to go and you are to take it. It requires battle, but the victory is assured. A great picture of what Jesus did in our life. You're saved, you have victory, but actually there are still battles to fight for you. What about some of the institutions of the Old Testament? Take the law. My goodness, the law is everywhere. There's whole books devoted to the law. Read them through the Old Testament. Leviticus. I've been there, done that one this year. You read that stuff, but what does that do? That points to the perfections and holiness of God. Jesus came and fulfilled the law in every way. It talks about how holy God is. It talks about our inability to keep it because we would fail at the first hurdle. It talks about God's need to judge sin, but actually his provision within the law the sacrifices to enable people to come to him anyway, it also clearly shouts of our need for a saviour and the provision by a gracious and merciful God. What about the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle and the temple? Moses was directed by God to build this box, put certain stuff in it, and he said, that's where my presence is going to dwell. And you're going to build a really cool tent and you're going to put it in there in the middle of the camp with all the people around it. And my presence will be with you. And later that's then transformed to the temple in Jerusalem that was built by Solomon. And God's presence would be right there with his people always. And anyone could kind of see that. We're all part of the people of God and they could go and they could worship at the temple. And then we go to John chapter 1. And it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But then what did it say? He came and dwelt amongst us. Same word, actually, tabernacled. Same word, he came and dwelt amongst us. And we know Jesus' name, one of his names was Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's the, the, it's all points to him. And then later we see the Holy Spirit come and actually dwelling in us. And we are now the temple of the people of God. Amazing. What about the covenants? Agreement after agreement that, that God made with these people saying, I will, I will do this. I will be your God. You serve me. I will protect you. I will look after you. People again and again, they failed in that. And then finally Jesus came and said, I will inaugurate a new covenant in my blood forever. An everlasting covenant. That's why we take the bread and the wine to remember that regularly, that we're part of that God's provision on that. What about the third thing, the appearances? You read our New Testament, sorry, our Old Testament, and there are moments in there where some strange people turn up. And they're like, who is this? And sometimes they're angels, and sometimes they're more than that. The scholars call them theophanies, which literally means God coming. And there are moments in the Old Testament where someone turns up, and they're more than just an angelic being, if that wasn't scary enough. Because they receive worship, they receive sacrifice, and they command and speak to whoever they're meeting as though they are God. And so we actually have moments in the Old Testament where Jesus himself turns up. The pre-incarnate Christ is there meeting with his people, speaking to them. 
We have it in Genesis chapter 16 when the angel of the Lord comes and speaks to Hagar and talks and she calls him God, refers to him as God. We have the burning bush in Exodus where actually there's a self-identification of God which actually says his name to Moses, I am, he says. What about in Judges 6 when the angel of the Lord again appears to Gideon and receives worship and at the end of the book of Judges with the birth of Samson announced, he appears again and receives worship and offering. There are moments where God, Jesus himself, is appearing in the Old Testament. And the last one, what about the attributes of God that we find there? We find God's mercy through Joseph accepting his brothers who tried to kill him and send him into slavery. And he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And he accepts them and shows mercy for them. And they were terrified of him because he was, A, he was alive, and B, he was in a position of immense power and authority. Could have had him just killed. But we see the mercy and grace of God. What about in the book of Ruth? We see God's compassion on the poor and the widowed and the foreigner and the outsider. And we see God's compassion through Boaz displayed on Ruth and her coming into his family and actually ending up being in the line of David, which of course then leads to Jesus himself. What an incredible display. What about God's holiness? We've seen it in um, the book of Joshua when Achan sins, when they take Jericho and judgment comes, horrific judgment, which points again that God is holy. He's loving and kind and gracious and merciful, but he's also holy, which means he cannot tolerate sin. It has to be dealt with. And we see that display there. What about his provision? Our God is a provider. He provided for his people when he brought them out of Egypt um, and he took them into the wilderness. They said their clothes never wore out. He provided manna from heaven and he provided quail to eat for 40 years. We, we kind of passed over it in Joshua. And it says they, they went into the land after 40 years of wandering and then it stopped. It literally stopped. So they've been having this provision of God for 40 years. God will provide. God will provide. And it's all in there. Jesus is our provider. So there's just a few things, hopefully, to inspire you and encourage you as you read God's word and as you set yourself to it. And it, it comes back now to the sort of the final question as we finish. How are you doing in reading your Bible? How are you doing? Are you working on this? If you have failed up till now, you set out with good intentions, you tried and it's not working, it's time to get up and get going again. It's not time to quit, it's not time to lie down. If you're struggling, you need to get some help. There are people in your life group, people around you, who will share ideas, who will talk to you, who will say, this is how I do it, try this. Seasons of life change. I've particularly noticed this with Melanie. We've both changed seasons, particularly in coming, having small children and growing up. Seasons of life change. And when those change, you need to change. You need to adapt. You need to go with it, which means your way you interact with God's Word, the way you read it, will need to change as well. Some of us are doing it reading through the Bible a year in the app. That's one way. It's working for me. I'm doing all right. I'm still on track. But that might not, might not work for you. Find a way that works for you. Share ideas in your life group. Find someone who is doing it and pick their brains. It's no excuse as a believer to not be doing this. This is an area of maturity in God. 
If you want to grow in God and grow up as a Christian and move on from the basics, this is something we need to nail. It will define your life as a believer. It will also define us as a church because we will have a cumulative impact together as men and women who read their word. If we don't read our Bible, we won't know what God's saying to us. We won't know about how to face the things in this world. We won't know what God's got to say about the things culture is pushing on us, how we should live our lives, what we should say yes to, what we should say no to, where should we go, how do we just navigate life? Find out someone, work on them. I've recommended those videos, those Bible project videos. If you've watched them, if you're reading through a particular book of the Bible, they have a short video for each one to tell you how it fits in the story. They are dynamite. I still do them now. For Jeremiah, I started reading Jeremiah. Watch the video. Okay, I've kind of got an idea of where this is going, how it all fits together. As I read, I'm connecting it all to the big story of God. I've got a few book recommendations, and then we're going to hear from a couple of people about how they do it. Um, First one, if you've got small children, the Jesus Storybook Bible. We're reading it through it with our boys. We've just hit the New Testament. We read, kind of read one story a night. This is outstanding at taking Old Testament stories and pointing them to Jesus. And then the New Testament stories are kind of obvious. They point to Jesus. This is a brilliant one to read with your kids. If you're totally like, uh, you read it first. Oh, yeah, okay. I'm getting a picture of how it all works. That's fantastic. If you want something just generally about the, the Bible, this is brilliant because it's only 100 pages. And they're small. This is called the Bible in 100 pages. See what they did there? 100 pages. The whole Bible in 100 pages. You can read this less than a week. The chapters are really small by a guy named Fillmore. It's really good. I've read this a couple of times just to remind, okay, how does the story work? How does it fit together? How does all the bits fit together? This is fantastic as well. If you like the idea of the um, creation full... Reconciliation, confirmation. Read this one, The Explicit Gospel by Matt Chandler. He deals with that in a lot more depth than I did today, which is excellent. He also does the personal gospel, which is, um, uh, what's it, God, man, Christ response, which is another thing which is also worth looking at. Have a read of that one. Last one, if I could recommend this to everyone, it would be this one. Jesus on every page. Ten simple ways to seek and find Christ in the Old Testament. He does a much better job than I did in 20 minutes telling you about how to find Jesus in the Old Testament. There's oodles in there. That's by uh, David Murray. Read those. If you want to have a, come and have a look at them, I'll leave them there. Don't touch my sandwich. But they're there. All right? Just saying. Becca and Andrew, can you come up? For, like, can we give them the microphone? Dad, it's right by you there. What we want is um, every week of this series, we're going to get a couple of people up just to come and share their, their story. They're going to introduce themselves, tell you what they do. They can tell you their favorite sandwich, and they're going to tell you how they read the Bible and pray. The reason for that is just to get... Members of the church up and just talk to you about it that hopefully will stir you, encourage you, and inspire you to make sure you're doing it. So over to you guys. Is it on? There you go. Okay. He'll come. Yeah. Hi, I'm Andrew. I work in IT um, for an internet hosting company in Worcester. And in church, I run a year one to three kids group. I'm a director and I'm also on the safeguarding team. I'm Becca. Um, I'm wife to Andrew. And um, we have two primary school aged children. Uh, so a lot of my week is kind of keeping the house running. Um, I also work as a GP. And in church, I run um, one of the early years, uh, lead one of the early years kids teams. My favourite sandwich is a ham salad sandwich made with really good ham, not the uh, mushed up muck, and Marmite. 
<laughs> yeah, I married him. <laughs> um, my favourite sandwich would probably be uh, smoked salmon and cream cheese, maybe a little bit of pepper, maybe on a bagel. Um, yeah. How I read the Bible is generally it's an evening in bed at night. Um, I now, the last couple of years, I, I work in Worcester, so when I drive, I've got about two or two and a half hours a day in the car. Instead of shouting at the radio, I listen to um, Bible commentaries, and I find it's a really good way of, of learning stuff, and you hear it. But I also, a few years ago, bought a ESV Reader's Bible, which has no verse numbers, no notes, and um, no distractions, and it's amazing how much more I've been able to read with that personally. Yeah, so quite often um, we both read the Bible at night. Often one um, or other of us will read um, what we're reading to the other. Um, Andrew kind of supplements that, like he said, through commentaries and listening to um, feedback on that in the car. Um, I sort of supplement it by rereading it the next day because I find it actually sticks a lot better if I've read something twice. Um, I have a Bible by my bed, which is the kind of regular nightly Bible, but a Bible I keep downstairs, which is just much more opportunistic when I get five minutes and I'll go reread um, the passage. Sometimes if we're reading like a really meaty book, we read James earlier in the year, we'll literally just do one paragraph at a time, but really try and pick through our questions on it and learn something from it. Um, at the moment we're reading 2 Samuel and with that we probably read a lot more at a time just to keep the story flowing um, and moving. Um, we read um, Jesus Storybook Bible and various other Bibles with the kids and I personally get loads out of reading the kids' Bibles as well. God's spoken to me loads through that. And for, with prayer, um, I often pray at night. I often use the uh, first 20 minutes of my journey to work, which is getting to the motorway for prayer. Um, which, which once someone said, why don't you use that time? Suddenly time became available that didn't seem to be there before. Um, a to on top of praying as need arises when people ask it, and sometimes over the kids at night. And pr family prayer, we're still working on something that works. We've tried various things and we're going to try various more things. Yeah, if anyone's got any tips on that, we're welcome to hear them. Um, so yeah, re again, regular prayer would be at night. Um, I'm just not a morning person. Um, but one of my favorite verses from the Bible is from um, 4 Philippians, uh, where it talks about in every situation with prayer and thanksgiving, presenting your request to God. Um, so I find quite often at times where I'm thankful or I need something, I'll be fine praying. So very much around and about my work day, um, over the kids once they're asleep in bed at night and can't argue back. Um, and yeah, if I'm going in the car to meet friends or, or whatever else. Um, when people ask for prayer, I found it works to just do a quick prayer then and there. Um, I found I actually do that a lot more than saving up for a longer prayer later in the day that perhaps then doesn't get said. Um, so yeah, it's all still a work in progress, but that's what we do. Prayer for just the two of us tends to be at night, doesn't it? Thank you. Thank you, guys. Can we give them a clap? Thank you. Take that. Pop that down there. Take that. Thanks. Okay, can we stand up? We're going to finish now. Can the band come back up? We're going to worship Jesus. I'm just going to pray for us um, to finish. If you want to just close your eyes, uh, open your hand. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for your word. Lord, we want to thank you that it is all about you. Lord, we, go, we want to thank you that you have opened our eyes to see that. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your great salvation. 
that has come to us that we've sung about already, that we've enjoyed here today. Lord God, we pray, Lord, that you would put a hunger in our hearts for your word, that we would not be men and women who claim to be Christians, but yet it doesn't seem to affect areas of our lives. It's something that, you know, our Bible is something that we just have, but we don't ever open it. Lord God, may that not be us. Lord Jesus, we ask you cause us to grow us up in faith, to mature us. Lord, we, we pray that we are people of your word, and as we read it, we are transformed bit by bit into your likeness. Lord, we ask you use your word to correct us, to challenge us, to train us, to encourage and inspire us, to cause us to have deep roots in you that our faith will hold when the trials of life hit us, Lord God. And Lord, we pray above all that our hearts would grow and our eyes would see more of your wonder and your beauty and your grace, Lord God. And we would be men and women who worship you. Lord God, as we read your word and we see the stories and we see your love and your grace and your mercy poured out, we would realize we're part of that. That's our story as well. And we would celebrate that. And we would enjoy that. Lord God, we want to say we love you. And we praise you. And God's people say, Amen.